The reading for today is, uh, can be found on page uh, 1085. It's uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Catherine. Let's just take a moment, shall we, to to pray. Um, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Father God, we pray that we would see your glory. We pray that we would see you more clearly as we look at your word together. We pray for your Holy Spirit to to be at work amongst us and in us and through us, drawing us together and changing us and making us more like you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to keep your Bibles open there at uh, John um, 17. It's uh, John 17. We're just uh, jumping in here um, uh, in our series uh, into a prayer, a prayer of, of Jesus, and an incredible prayer, an amazing prayer. Um, and um, it's one of the very last things that, that Jesus says before he dies, isn't it? Before he goes to the cross and dies for us. And certainly my experience of um, being with those who are, are dying is that when, they, when they're dying, they don't tend to talk about trivial things. The weather, although it seems to have perked up right now. They don't, we don't talk about matters of triviality, things that don't matter. We talk about things that really matter uh, and that you want people to know about. And that's what Jesus is doing here, in, in, in a sense. We are capturing a sense of what Jesus is on Jesus' heart as he talks to his Father. And, and notice verse 20, Jesus starts to pray. He starts actually to pray for you and me. Before that, he'd been praying um, for the disciples. But verse 20 says, my prayer is not 
for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so verses 20 to 26, Jesus is praying directly for you and me, and that's quite incredible to think about. Jesus is doing, doing that and praying for you and me all these years later. And you just want to know what Jesus is praying for and what matters to him uh, as he comes to the Father before the cross. What matters for our life together as Christians who, who seek to be living by love and faith. That's the name of our series, isn't it, at the moment? And as we conclude this series, I, I want us to focus on really just one aspect of it, our life together, um, looking briefly at this text, really just the first few verses. The series has, it's true, hasn't it, has the potential to divide us, the series on such big issues and often controversial issues and lots of different opinions and different views and we don't always agree and we struggle with it and we worry about it. How should we reset, as it were, after such a, such a series as this? Verse 21. I pray here, Jesus says, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. You repeat something similar in verse 23. So that they may be brought to complete unity. What does this mean? Let's think, first of all, what does this unity, this oneness that he's talking about here? I mean, someone looked at these verses and thought this means that we should be all the same church. Uh, a, a sort of grand merger, a, some people use the word ecumenical, but it's a kind of coming together of all the churches. Is that what Jesus is meaning here? Of course, there's nothing wrong with, with churches getting together, working together. That's a really good thing. And mergers sometimes might be helpful. Yet is that what Jesus is really meaning here? Verse 23 says, When the world sees it, then they'll know that you, Father, sent me. They'll be struck by it and go, oh yes, church is coming together, I'll, I'll look into that. Is that really what we see? As if sort of, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, is organisational and structural unity and merging what matters? It'd be a bit like saying, and this is a bit trivial, but it'd be a bit like saying I see Amazon who just re- merged with MGM Studios, you might have heard of that, um, getting together and, uh, and merging. And, and we all go, oh, behold, I see how they love one another uh, you know, and how they live, uh, how life-giving it is. No, it's not structural, uh, organizational unity. As good as that might be, it can't be what Jesus had in mind. What was he talking about? Verse 21 says that all, it's a very little word, all, that all of them may be one. And not just the, the church, this church or that church in this particular time. Uh, he's actually talking about, but all of them, down time and history, if you think about it, might be one. All of them may be one. All, that's something much bigger, isn't it? Something much more dynamic. The, and when we think about it, the early church um, 
dramatically took off, didn't it? We saw this in our series on Acts. It took off because the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them and brought this kind of unity, this all sense of unity. It's interesting that, for example, this kind of unity, the early church was the first truly multi-ethnic faith. Because if you talk to historians, they will tell you that religions tend to divide down people's ethnicities, but not so with Christianity, not so with Jesus. Jesus Christ came to save the world, and that meant all. It cut across all divisions and ethnicities and classes and genders and, uh, and status. That's the essence of all, isn't it? Something much bigger. And we should still see this today. I was reflecting on this, and I was recalling the time I was in. I went to the U.S., I can't believe it's now 23 years ago since I was there. Um, it's a young 20-year-old. And I went there, and I thought, when, before I went, I thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> it's a very arrogant thing to say. I thought, it's going to be a piece of cake. Um, they're Americans. Uh, you know, we speak the same language. <laughs> um, uh, they seem to like all the rock bands that I like, like Def Leppard which none of you will have probably heard of. Um, and, uh, you know, we fought together in the war, in the Cold War. And, uh, and academically, the work that I was doing, we were in the same sort of area of expertise. And, but, oh boy, I was, I was in for a cultural shock. I had no idea just how British I am. <laughs> I, I, and it became very apparently, I suddenly realized how, how, you know, sort of polite, reserved Englishman I am. Um, who likes to drink tea all the time and, you know, didn't really kind of connect with their sense of humour. But at that time, you know, the one thing that, that stuck out to me was the place that I felt most at home was in the church. And funnily enough, it was called All Nations. All Nations Church in Columbus, Ohio. I went along, it was full of different people with all kinds of different backgrounds and languages and cultures. And, but I found a, a bond there and a joy there and a peace and a unity and a closeness that perhaps I haven't experienced since. I learned a lot from them. I met my good friend Yasser, who was from Sudan, who'd converted from Islam to Christianity and couldn't go back. And he fed me and he welcomed me in. He collected me from the airport. He did, and I had a fellowship and shared with him in a way that was, was just truly, truly different. In a way that I could never actually, I never got with my academic colleagues who weren't Christians. Something very different and dynamic. You see, real Christianity we have been, as brothers and sisters, deeply convicted of our sin uh, by the wickedness of our own hearts. And yet we know that we're infinitely loved and affirmed through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And so it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter about your social standing or your political affiliations, whether even the left or the right. What matters is the gospel message. It's that that brings us together and keeps us together. It's not something you can organize or, or stitch together like a, 
kind of, you could organize it or, or try and sort of humanly make it happen. It, it, it's something really different and organic and something created, of course, by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It's only God who can do that kind of work amongst us. Very unique and so profound, our life together. And therefore, it's not a matter of acquisitions and mergers for those of you in business or structural reorganization. It's a product of the gospel. And it's there in verse 20. If you look at it, verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe, you and me, in Jesus through their message. Stop there for a moment, through their message. Unity, our our life together flows from believing in Jesus through their message. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the apostles, he's talking about the disciples, through their message. Message here in the Greek is logos, which is, is the word. I pray also for those who believe in me through their word, that all of them may be one. You see, unity comes through a common message, comes through a common word. It's given to us by the disciples. That's the apostles. And so this is, this is so important, really, really fundamental and critical for us in our life together. Important, particularly in our age and in our world, as we grapple with hard issues, difficult issues, LLF issues, our, our unity, our life together is not the message. Our unity is not the message, but is a product of the message. So that makes us ask, therefore, doesn't it, what is the message? And of course, it is the gospel message. It is the gospel word, it is the word of God. Nowhere else. That word of the gospel, that we were dead in our transgressions, that we've been made alive through Christ, through faith in him, that Jesus came and died and lived and rose again, and died for us in our place, so that if we believe in him, we may live and have life in all its fullness. And as that gospel message brings us together as one, that then has a, a natural transforming effect on us as a, as a, as a fellowship, as a, as a community, in our life together. And, and one particular I want to, uh, area I want to emphasize is in the area of sharing truth. In Ephesians 4, um, Paul tells the church in Ephesus to grow in maturity. He wants us to grow in maturity. And uh, when that happens, he says, he says this, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This is really, really important for us. If we really want to be a community together of living in love and faith with each other, we have to go, got to find ways of speaking the truth in love. And that's really hard at times, isn't it? We've experienced how difficult that is at times. I would actually go as far to say that 
this speaking truth in love is the operating principle of our lives as Christians together as a community. If we want to grow in our lives, if we want to grow in our discipleship, which is part of our vision as a church, we have to find ways, difficult ways sometimes. We have to find ways to talk about things that are hard in a way of love so that we don't just kind of either go off on one in very angrily or, or we just walk away. Here's the thing, there are, you know, when I think about it, there are things in my life and there will be things in your life that are causing you endless trouble and difficulty. There'll be corruptions, there'll be sin, there'll be deceit, there will be all sorts of things in our lives, dreadful things. And the problem is that we all face is that we, we can't see them. I can't see them myself. And you know that's true, though, don't you? You can always spot it in someone else, but you find it hard to see it in yourself. And I know that's true of my life. That's the problem we face. All the way, and the only way we're going to grow in this kind of loving, truth-telling is if, if someone comes along and speaks truth in love to us. And that's going to take a tremendous, tremendous amount of, of wisdom and courage on the part of the speaker to tell someone else that there's maybe something in, in their life that is, this, it's, that's wrong and not right. Because, you know, the, the truth is we generally don't like to do it, do we? We don't like to cause pain in someone or upset someone uh, or make them angry or, or, or fearful. And of course, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to let others speak truth into your life, into areas of your life that, that need to change, to be open and to be vulnerable with people. That's why small groups are, are really important in our church, because that's the place where we start to begin to find a place where we can do this. So we've got to surround ourselves with a whole load of people who will love us enough to speak truth from God's word, into our lives. See, uh, if someone comes at us, um, and you've probably experienced this, if somebody comes up, comes at you all sort of grumpy and, and angry with you at your flaws and just says, rrr, 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 you're doing this, that, and that, and they fly off the handle at you, it's just so easy, isn't it, to walk away and ignore them? just is easy to do that. But when someone who clearly loves you, who you've spent years with even, in community, sharing God's word together, living life together, um, it's hard, but you know that they're probably speaking to you because they love you and they want the very best for you. And that is real love. That is truth in love. That's, people have done that for me. And it's transforming. It can transform our, our life together as a community. It can transform our hearts to be more like Jesus. So why, why is this kind of life together so important? Well, it's also very important because for our mission, actually. And it says there in the text in verse 23, then the world will know that you sent them. But it's important to see that that comes as a result of our unity, that our mission comes out of that. Jesus says um, this is important for our mission into the world so that the world will see how 
incredible and how inexplicable their love for each other is. How they tell truth to each other and how they do it in community and they love each other and they still don't seem to fall out. Because if you think about it, that uh, we uh, have all these truth claims as a church, don't we? We have all these, cr- in, in a world out there, they all look pretty crazy, don't they? We believe Jesus lived and died and rose again for us and died for our sins and died in our place. Pretty crazy things. And we have all these different values and beliefs that the world doesn't share. To the world, that will seem utterly crazy. And so for the world to know that Jesus, uh, to know Jesus, people need to see how our belief cashes out in life, in our reality, in our life together as, as believers. And unless people see the transforming power of the gospel at work in our lives, why in the world would they choose to follow Jesus? Because they don't see the impact that it has on their lives, or at least inquire into it. See, a church um, that is kind of full of, I don't know, full of bickering, full of cliques, full of um, unforgiving spirit or cold or indifferent to each other and bad-tempered or whatever it might be. What, what is that, ultimately? Yes, ultimately, that's it's sinful and it doesn't, it doesn't look good. But, but ultimately, what it is doing is it's making Jesus look awful, isn't it? it makes Jesus look ugly and unattractive. Those things are terrible, but we don't want to do that, do we? Uh, um, therefore, why would they want to inquire and find out about this Jesus if that's the way we live? Life together must be radically different. It must be possible. Jesus is praying for it. Jesus is praying for it. He has prayed for it. How does it come about? It sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? It sounds impossible because it is impossible for us. By nature, we, we can't do this. By nature, we don't do this because we are, because of our sin. It's not natural for us. It's not our nat- nature to, to come together. It can only come about because of God and of the gospel message, of that word. If you look closely at the end of uh, verse 23 again, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Even as you have loved me. This is how deep and profound that is. The Father loves you. The Father loves you and me. He loves you and me as much as he loves the Son. That's what he's saying. He loves you as much as he loves the Son. That's an incredible amount of love because he loves the Son to infinity. So therefore he must love you in that way too. But do we believe it? Allow it to... to to sink in, affect your heart. The Father looks at you and me and loves you and me as if he's looking at the Son. And the more that we understand that, the extent of God's love for us, the more it will change us, the more it will unite us because he loves us so much, he sent his Son into the world to die for us in our place on the cross. That is the truth of the gospel. And it is that truth that will unite us and bring us together. And it is that truth that will transform our life together. The Father sent Jesus and loved 
me and you, even as the Father loved Jesus. And when we realize this, it will transform our community. It will transform us into a community that is able to forgive one another. It will transform us to carry one another's burdens when, when actually sometimes we don't feel like it. We'll be able to speak the truth in love to one another. We'll be able to share what we have with one another. Accepting each other's failures, accepting each other's differences, and we'll be able to walk as one. And yes, that will be hard. It won't be easy. But there's a world out there that's watching. It might be painful because our our, our values are different from the world out there. But they teach us how to step out so that we may be truly one, living in love and faith. Father God, we know that we do not live as you've prayed here in your word. We do not live as one. We thank you that it is in Jesus that that we are made one. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, that we know our own hearts to be sinful and evil and rebellious against you, and yet you have made us alive in Christ through faith in Jesus. We thank you that that's not something that we have done, but you have done for us. We praise you for it. We thank you that it is Jesus that brings us together, the gospel message. And we pray when we face difficulties and we face hard subjects that it will be the gospel that will bring us together the reminder that it is it is what jesus has done for us who dying for us in our place to save us from our sin pray that we'd look to him and you would change us you would be you would make us be able to speak truth in love to each other that we may be one so that we may go out into this world showing the world what Jesus has done. In his name we pray. Amen.